Hello, happy Wednesday. So I enjoy cooking and trying new recipes out. And one recipe I've wanted to try for a really long time is pad gras prao. It's one of my favorite Thai dishes. Mm, so yummy. There's such a depth to the flavor in that dish. I don't know who I think I am by saying like, it's a, there's a depth in the flavor profile, but I was intimidated by the depth of the flavor profile. Anywho, so I got all my ingredients. I'm chopping up my veggies. And if you don't know what the dish is, that's totally fine. Just know that you need to use Thai chilies and those are spicy. So I'm chopping it all up, sauteing everything, cooking it up, make the rice, serve it to my partner and I, and it is so good. I am ridiculously proud because again, I was intimidated by the depth of the flavor profile. Can you say that 10 times fast? And maybe like 30 minutes after finishing. So let's say maybe like an hour after cutting up my veggies. I'm noticing that the tips of my pointer and my middle finger on my left hand are a little tingly. I'm like, huh. And then kind of like around the nail, like where you might get hangnails, that starts to be a little tingly. And I think, mm, you know what? It's probably from cutting up the red Thai chilies. Like I bet some juice or something just got like, maybe I have a little cut, maybe got in there. So I just kind of ran it underwater, washed my hands again. And I thought, oh, this is fine. Cut to like two hours later, my partner and I are watching Witcher. And at this point, the tingling has now changed to a burning sensation. And it's not just in my first two fingers, but it's in all four of my fingers on my left hand, probably up to like the first digit, like where Phoebe Buffay wears like her little rings. I still love those. I would watch Friends. Anyway, it's burning. Okay. So I think stick it in a bowl of ice water and that'll chill it down. I just need to like ride this out. So I grab a bowl, fill it with ice, fill it with cold water, and I stick my fingers in it. I'm doing that for, I don't know, maybe two hours. And if my fingers are in the bowl, they're fine. But as soon as I take them out and they dry off or like warm up a little bit, they're burning again. And it's now starting to rise to like the middle of my fingers, like that knuckle. So I'm starting to stress out a little bit, but I got my bowl and I'm just leaving my hand in there. My fingers are getting nice and pruney. Witcher ends, my partner and I are getting ready for bed and my fingers are on fire, like burning, like a thousand bee stings. I, I am now starting to slowly panic because in the beginning I just thought, eh, whatever, just it'll go away in like 10 minutes. No, this has been hours since I've touched these peppers and I'm just assuming it's from the peppers. So I'm trying to figure out what I can do to give me enough relief of the pain that I can just fall asleep because I figure it'll be fine in the morning. So then my partner oh, suggests that we use our aloe plant who like we've named Allie and of course I've gotten so attached and all of our plants are like my children so I can't look but he cuts oh I can't even say it he cuts off I was gonna say an arm he cuts off a piece of the aloe plant we open it up and I'm rubbing aloe all over all four of my fingers and I don't know if it's just in my head but it's not helping and if anything it's making it worse. So I rinse that off. Then I try some like all natural, essentially like polysporin. That's not helping. I try wrapping it up in like lotion with bandages. Mm -mm, nope, stinging. I try penitent, which if you don't know what, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but it's diaper cream. <laughs> but like it's this thick white cream 
that comes in like a tin that's colored blue. It's really great for pimples. That's why I have it. Um, if you get a pimple, slap that on, go to bed, wake up, bam, gone. Also good for, because it's good for baby bums, it's good for sensitive skin. Anyway, I'm not a doctor, but that's just what I use. So I'm slabbing that all over. Does nothing. And if you know what penitent is, you also know that it is so hard to get off of your finger. So then I'm trying to get that off with some soap. So my partner does some Googling, and that is when he discovers what is going on with me. It is called hot pepper fingers. And... <laughs> The name is ridiculous to me. Very accurate, but ridiculous. And in this article that he is reading to me, it is saying that anytime you cut up any hot peppers, no, from jalapeno to red chili to whatever, you should wear gloves. But here I was squeezing out the seeds with my naked little fingers. Then I was holding it like if you're cutting a cucumber, hold it with if you're right handed, you're holding it with your left hand and then you're holding the knife with your right hand. I was just doing this all naked willy nilly. I don't even know what willy-nilly means, but just all reckless. And so a bunch of the chili oil has seeped into my skin, and that's what's causing the burning sensation. And here's the thing. The article says that the burning sensation can last from 30 minutes, sure, to a few days. So immediately I am asking him, what are all the home remedies that they say on there? A bunch of them we've already tried, but it says olive oil. So I have taken olive oil. I'm rubbing it into my skin for like a good couple minutes and then rinsing it off. Then it says use dish soap because that cuts the grease. I'm rubbing, I'm, I'm washing my hands with dish soap. Then it says yogurt or dairy products. Now, I don't have dairy products, but I do have coconut milk yogurt. So I pull an entire new tub out of the fridge, take it out and stick my entire hand in it and just hold it in there. And that's when he says, uh-oh. And I'm like, what? And he says, this article says that you should not put your hands in water because the water causes the oil to spread. And I had been sitting for like two full Witcher episodes at least with my whole hand in a bowl of water. So no wonder it was getting so bad because it was spreading it up my hand. So I was just standing there in my kitchen feeling completely defeated. And my hand starts stinging again. And I'm confused why the yogurt isn't working anymore. And I realized the yogurt has now warmed up a bit. And the yogurt was never helping me. It was just the cold of the yogurt because the yogurt doesn't have any dairy fat to break down the oil. So I didn't know what else to do. I crawled into bed. I turned on my iPad. I put on New Girl. And I tried to distract myself from the feeling that my hand was on fire. And it lasted another hour and a half or so. And then I fell asleep and I woke up. Thank God my hand was fine. I did have like a blister or two on my pinky, but otherwise feels fine. So listen, this is my PSA, my Good Samaritan moment of the week. Please, if you are cutting hot peppers, wear gloves. And if you already knew that, and I'm the only person, which make me feel like an idiot, who didn't know, I mean, kudos to you. Some great life knowledge you already had there. All right, let's get to the episode. Welcome to Liquid Courage, the podcast where I, Amanda Pereira, sit down with a fellow artist that I admire and ask them the questions I've never had the guts to ask them before. Sounds scary? Yeah, it really is. So I use a little liquid courage in the form of my guest's favorite drink. We cheers, chat, and connect as I attempt to soak up all the wisdom they have to offer. 
Today I sit down with Melissa D'Agostino and we sip on some red wine. Melissa is an actor, writer, director, theater maker, and filmmaker based in Toronto. Melissa has seamlessly flowed between the theater and film worlds throughout her career, receiving awards for writing, acting, and directing both nationally and internationally. Her performance in the digital series Tactical Girls won her the 2017 Canadian Screen Award for Best Performance by an Actress in a Web Series. And in that same year, Melissa co-founded the international streaming site Highball TV with her partner in art and life, Matt Campania. Since its launch, Highball TV has been featured in Variety Magazine, She Does the City, and Melissa and Matt have been able to greenlight numerous feature films and give several directors their directorial debuts. It's incredibly impressive what they've built. So after listening to this episode, I really encourage you to check out Highball TV, either on Apple TV, Roku, or on your desktop. Speaking of directorial debuts, in 2022, Melissa made her feature directorial debut with the film Mother of All Shows, a film she co-wrote with David James Brock, starring Melissa and the Wendy Malick. Yeah, <laughs> pretty cool. Mother of All Shows premiered at the Art of Brooklyn Film Festival and won Outstanding Narrative Feature as well as Outstanding Director of a Narrative Feature. So Melissa is an actor, writer, director, theater maker, filmmaker, and someone I admire immensely. Hi, Melissa. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, I was pointing before we started. We match. I chose this, like my outfit was inspired by you. What? Yes. Yes. What do you mean? I was like, ooh, maybe I should dress like inspired by tactical girls. Amazing. Yeah. And then you came on somewhat similarly. Like at camo time. Yeah. This is, uh, this, I got this in um, clothing swap. I believe this belonged to Ashley Como, um, who, you know, love and is love. the best. And so, um, yeah, so I'm wearing, uh, I'm wearing this. I'm so glad we somehow, you know, magically decided to match. I know. We could kind of be sisters right now. All you need is the we same can. color hair and the same sh similar shirt, right? Actually, speaking of That's Ashley, right. I didn't even clue into this. I was at your place of business with Ashley over the weekend. Oh, for the reading? Yes. Amazing. And I was sitting there and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm talking to the boss on, on Wednesday. So this <laughs> oh, is cool. So great. Beautiful yeah, space. Oh, my God. Thank you. Such Thanks, a rock yeah. star pad. And those shelves, the wall shelves? Well, because it used to be, our office used to be um, a textile company. And so they had bolts of fabrics. I think it was like curtains and fabrics. And so the reason why the shelves are all the way up to the ceiling and have that design is because you would just put all the bolts, stack all the bolts. Up. Oh. Yeah. So it's a cool part of the history. I was saying with somebody like, you need like a Beauty and the Beast ladder. Because your ceilings are what? Like, what would you say? A hundred feet high? They're so tall. <laughs> they're very tall. They're so like, tall. Well, because there's two stories. Basically, that's the height of both of the stories. I'm on the top floor now where you were on the weekend. And so, yeah, we joked the moment we got into this office before we even rented it. We were like, we're going to have to get one of those ladders. You have, have to, to. Like slide across, slide and, uh... across, and have birds <laughs> right. chirp. Yeah, you got to do something. Oh my god, those yeah. shelves—it's like shelves, yeah, from floor to ceiling. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to have you here today. I have uh, thought you were such a badass for many, many years, and I Thank like you. sometimes to give context, like how we might know each other. So we, we don't really know each other. We've seen each other in passing. We both worked at at the Toronto International Film Festival for. Well, I worked for a blip. I think you worked there longer than, than well, longer than I did, but more than a blip. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And used to work on and off with your husband, Matt, in casting for a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I know 
you by proxy that way, but not really. Like, and and I've watched your show and Hype Night and, you know, things like that. So, but we don't really know each other. So I'm so excited to have you here today and chat because I think you're wonderful. So. Oh, well, thank you. Well, likewise, oh. I, I feel oh, like oh. I know you from all of those yeah. in passing and from following you on socials and <laughs> and getting to know you that way and this program. And so, yeah, I'm delighted. I'm so Thank you for asking. What a oh. treat. And to get oh, to know you better pleasure. and chat. Yeah, I know, right? Because you don't really get that. You end up, that's one of the things, you end up sort of knowing, like in air quotes, knowing people for like, oh yeah, I've known her for 10 years. But you're like, no, but I, I've never had a one-on-one -on -one conversation. It's wild. So it's wonderful to get to do this. And I would love to dive in first just talking about Highball TV. Like I, sure. it is so incredible. You gave, okay, so you gave a really wonderful speech at the Walrus Talks that I have watched multiple times um, about what led oh, you and Matt to, no, it was so good, about what led you Thank and Matt you. to starting Highball TV. No, seriously, I encourage people to go check it out on YouTube. If you just Google Melissa's name and you put in like Walrus Talks, Highball TV, it's like, it's compelling. It's eye-opening. It's empowering. Like it's so badass. So cool. I feel bad asking you this but could you tell people what highball tv is and how it came and how it came to be not that you have to give your walrus talk by any means i realize i shouldn't I have plugged that. i couldn't if i tried no it's uh, an impossible but, no no, no. <laughs> yeah i'm happy i'm happy to talk about it um and thank you for those one words that was a very stressful mm. talk for me i was so nervous and we drove to uh halifax from prince edward county and so uh, in the car i was like on the computer rewriting it and it was very stressful. So I'm oh, happy to wow. hear that you enjoyed it. Cause it yes. Was... How did you feel right? Like right after you did it? How did you feel? Or I guess even a couple days after, were you happy about how it went? I have my adrenaline is a thing where like right after I do a thing, I am so wired and I'm immediately <laughs> like, oh God, was that okay to that? And I'm replaying things in my head, but I'm also so energized by the experience that I, it's like you I can't really function after I do those things after I give a big speech or I used to do a lot of um, character and clown comedy and I would do it in front of you know hundreds of people in these weird circus cabaret nights and um and and be doing crazy stuff that was so fun but afterward it's like I can't really function I can't mm. and I can't really talk to people I can't really focus like my body is gone through a traumatic event <laughs> and, uh, uh -huh. and not entirely bad like it's a, not a bad feeling it's just a kind of otherworldly feeling like I feel very grounding myself afterward is very challenging it's very so, challenging but it was very empowering like yeah you know, it was it was an amazing group of speakers and I was honored to be asked and it was a great feeling, but I'll get back to your question. So yes, this is yes, yes. No, 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 no. Um, I'm interested in so many things. Listen, I'm going to try and stay on topic also. Okay, yes. Please okay. tell me about Highball TV. Highball TV was started because Matt and I had made, um, uh, well, we had been making content. I hate that word. We had been making film and TV <laughs> and, you know, web videos and, and all sorts of things for years be before mm -hmm. we met each other. And then also once we met each other, we started doing it together. So we'd made a web series called Tactical Girls, which you mentioned earlier. And um, it had done, you know, some good stuff. It had gone to some festivals. I won a Canadian Screen Award and we were like, okay, let's try and make a second season uh, of this because it seems to have some legs and we love doing it. And we were applying for funding. And at the time, and still, I think, to, in order to get funding for a second season, we needed a broadcaster. And in Canada, at the time, especially, there were basically two broadcasters, especially for comedy. It was like, you go to Bell Media, Crave, or you go to CBC. And we had 
had conversations with them and we had a, a production company interested in working with us who wanted to pitch to them, but they weren't interested. We had already made the first season. It wasn't really, they didn't really know if it was for their audience. It just wasn't a fit. And I, and we found often, Matt and I, that we're very entrepreneurial. We make things ourselves and it's hard in Canada then to get those things to go further. There can be uh, a kind of, um, what's the word, resistance toward that model, just because of the way our funding works and the way our broadcasting works. So we thought, well, what are we going to do? And we were in a meeting and Matt was looking at all these digital broadcasters that were applying to Capco to get status, to be broadcasters, to be considered broadcasters. And Matt looked at it. And because Matt has a history of coding, he looked at it and he was like, I can build that. We'll just build it ourselves. And so we became our own broadcaster in order to be eligible for that funding. We didn't get that funding. <laughs> we came close and we didn't get it. Uh, but then we had this thing we had built that was CAVCO approved, which meant that it could access tax credits, which means you can sort of be in a production pipeline. That's very attractive in Canada to be able to do that. And so we thought, well, what do we do now? And then mm. we started meeting other filmmakers. They had terrible distribution deals. They had all these <laughs> projects that nobody could find anywhere. Mm. And so we started to build a catalog a library of titles really and so it's a streaming service but you can also rent titles and and you can buy titles on it and then through all of that we ended up when covid happened uh there were some financiers film financiers who didn't have films to finance because mm. uh, nobody could shoot anything because it was mm. so dangerous but matt had a film that he had written and matt has a lot of experience with uh, green screen and because we could shoot a film one actor at a time with only him as the camera department, and basically there were only ever five people on set, he said, we could shoot this whole thing very safely. And the financiers were very interested because mm. they wanted to be making money and be uh, as, as capitalism goes. Uh, <laughs> and so we happened to be in a position because we had built Highball TV and because we had the experience we had to make that film. And that open the floodgates now we've made i think we've filmed eight films seven or eight features That's and wild. we have we're fine we already have seven more in the sort of pipeline to finance and we're releasing three of them this year so yeah it that was just wow. a timing thing and uh the fact that we had built what we built we were able to yeah to do that so Wow. Pretty, pretty wild. Well, yeah. And you start, I mean, not maybe not, not the inception of it, but like released it, released Highball TV to the world in mm -hmm. 2018, right? That was the hard launch. We had soft launched mm. it the year before mm. as a sort of beta test right. to see what it was. 2018, we hard launched it when we acquired the film Drawer Boy, uh, which is based on a famous Canadian play, wonderful play, and is a beautiful movie. And so we acquired that film and launched it publicly in 2018, yeah. Wow, from 2018 to now. Like that's a lot of feature films to have made. And that's, the feature films are only, we that we made are only since 2020. But uh, yeah, it's a lot. I'm, uh, I need a vacation. You're like, I'm tired. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. but I'm that's like, incredible. It. it really is. And, and I, okay, so for people watching or listening that might not be familiar with like how you get money to make a film or how that kind of all works, 
um, not to ask you to get like, I'm not asking to um, have you be a professor, but for free, but just to like yeah. explain to people, <laughs> how does creating and having highball TV allow you to make and pay for eight films or like allow you to make these eight feature films in a way that you wouldn't be able to have made if it was like just you and Matt without highball TV making films? Like what, what is highball TV? How does that make the difference, I guess, for people who might not know, be familiar with the system? Yeah, so in Canada, uh, we have a tax credit system. And so you can get a tax credit on a, a certain amount of the labor that you uh, exploit or that you use in making of films. And so the budgets that we work with are a combination of investment, financiers that come on board, loans, so there's a, a lot of different sources for the money that comes in and the tax credit. So the mm. budget is made up of all of those. If we didn't have Highball TV, we wouldn't have access to those tax credits in the same way because mm. we are um, a CAPCO approved uh, and CAPCO is sort of the governing body of, of the federal tax credit. And then there are mm. provincial tax credits and every province is sort of different on how, in terms of how they work. But really we are able to do what we do because we have that broadcast it's not a license but that designation if you will as a digital broadcaster so if we didn't have that and when we didn't have that you know before we had highball tv we were going and pitching and trying to find broadcasters and people who could provide that for us and that's really hard i mean it's hard no matter what pitching mm -hmm. and trying to get your films made is you know hard no matter what and certainly right now we're in the middle of in the united states you know, a huge labor action movement, which is amazing, but it's different there too than it is in Canada. And in mm -hmm. Canada, there's just so little domestic production that happens. We don't mm -hmm. make all that much here, um, and especially in film. We, we have television, we, we sort of have, have made inroads there and partnerships where we're able to make more projects. But film mm. is really hard. Mm -hmm. Well, and even like, thank you, first of all, for explaining mm -hmm. all that, because I think it gives a really great context. Also, just it gives such a great impression, I guess, or like representation of what a massive undertaking this is or seems to be like for you and Matt to be like, OK, we're going to take it into our own hands. Like we're going to make a streaming site and we're going to make the films and then all the education, like all the all the knowledge you have to have and keep acquiring and stay on top of. And I don't know, I feel like you're coming in to sort of like save artists and content in a way or save movies. Let's Man. not say the word content, save movies <laughs> in a way. I truly do. Like, and I'm so what is like the biggest challenge in running your own empire like this, <laughs> like running, ha having this, like I, I imagine it gives so many freedoms and opportunities and like puts you in the driver's seat in ways that it's wonderful and also, mm -hmm. I'm sure, puts you in the driver's seats in ways that, like, make you, like you said, tired. So, like, what what's the biggest challenge to running this? Well, the biggest challenge, <laughs> well, certainly, certainly it's that currently I think I work probably, if I, if I looked at all the different jobs I do, it's multiple full-time jobs at the same time. Partially because I'm an artist and that is important to me. And, and I, we started this streaming site because we were trying to make our own work. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about it is we can mm -hmm. make our own work and we have, and it's been incredibly rewarding. The difficult thing is the balance of mm -hmm. now, how do I make sure I'm continuing to tell the stories I want to tell and make the projects I want to make 
while also making sure that the business is running and you know we have a staff now and really making sure that our staff is being taken care of that they have what they need there's just so much to think about all the time i think it's the biggest challenge for me is the relentlessness of it Mm. you know when i was a freelance artist and really struggling financially and working multiple jobs i was probably working as many jobs as I am now in some ways, right? They were just very different jobs. They were cater waiting or they were standardized patient or they were corporate work or they were teaching (laughs) or all the things we all do as artists to to supplement our income and, and survive. The one freedom I had then you know, I was struggling financially and it was so Mm. tough and and I couldn't get projects to go and all of that was very disheartening. Mm. But I could take breaks where I was like, okay, well, you know what? That's not happening. So I'm just going to take this break here and because I could let go of a lot of it. Yeah. And then come back to it. Mm -hmm. And I would say, I do not want to be back in that position. I feel very privileged and fortunate (laughs) and I'm so grateful and happy to Mm -hmm. be in a position where not only can I make things I want to make and I can feel a sense of, you know, financial stability that I didn't have before, which is a gift that I, you know, is, I can't even articulate at the same time. I do sometimes miss being able to just be like, you know what, today I'm just going to go get inspired at, uh, I'm going to go to the museum and I'm going to pay the artist rate. And, and in the back of my mind was all of the stress of not having the means I needed and yeah. not getting what I wanted. But there was also a strange freedom there. And I don't think that it's, I think it's entirely a freedom that can still exist in the current setup. It's just that we've been hustling so much. I also hate that word, but we've been working so hard mm-hmm. for the past few years to get to this stage. And um, I, yeah, I think the hardest thing is balance. Yeah. I, I it's yeah even as you're speaking I'm like oh yeah because then once you get the financial stability it's like trying to keep it or it's trying to keep building towards it or whatever I mean I can totally relate like having the jobs that when you clock out you've clocked out there is such a beautiful simplistic freedom in that or or I remember like being at a serving job and them offering like hey do you want to be a manager and I was like absolutely not I'm going to come in I'm going to do an yes. amazing like I'm going to work so hard and then I'm going to get right out and then I'm and when I'm not here I'm not going to think about you like it's I'm not making a schedule for people absolutely not I want the minimum yeah. responsibility and I will put forward the maximum effort but nothing else because yeah yeah, yeah there is and it's weird because as I, I, I also acknowledge that like that also has its huge downside, right? Mm. The, the, um, they both have a kind of unpredictability. Mm. Like at any moment, the infrastructure of what we've built, a piece of it could change. Mm. And then you have to figure out what to do. I think that's always when you are building your own things, whether that's building your own company you know, in this case, a streaming site or making your own projects or building your own career as an actor, which is to me, I think the thing we underestimate with artists um, or that the public, you know, the the mainstream public um, really doesn't understand about being a freelance artist of any kind is you are building your own company. You are your own company. And that takes an incredible amount of skill and discipline. And you have to know about budgets and math and you have to make all your own boundaries in a way that that is very different if you're just stepping into a workplace. And so I think we underestimate often what artists bring to the table in the world because we have to do all the creative stuff and be open 
and inspired and show up and have those muscles. And we have to manage an entire system. Mm, you know, file taxes as an art. Yeah. Like all, the, all the things. Yeah, no, you're right. Like all the extra things. And like, let's just say specifically, you call yourself an actor. All the things you described about the business part of it, you're doing mm -hmm. for a much larger percentage of the year, let's say, than actual acting. It's those That's things right. that become tiring. And those are the things I often think, too, when people decide to make a change in their life from pursuing acting as a career to pursuing something else as a career and finding happiness in that. I don't know if it's often the acting than it is like all the stuff that comes with trying to get those opportunities in order to act and do that thing that you love you know I think it's all the other things that take people out I agree because the the acting can can be so the acting jobs can be so few and far between so it can be really disheartening to keep going especially when you're not getting your needs met and and, mm -hmm. the, and that's often the case right so I don't know it's it's been a wild ride to to feel the roller coaster of it all yeah and how did you and Matt come up with the name highball where did that come from? We came, we, honestly, <laughs> we had come up with another company name. So we have a company called Gold Strike Pictures, which is our film production company. And we had come up with that name first because we were working with a business coach and, and we thought maybe production was where we were going to start, you know, mm -hmm. and building a production company. And so we came up with Gold Strike because we were like, okay, and it, that took us, you know, a day of us just brainstorming and writing things down and and then when we then decided we were going to do this, we're like, oh, man, now we have to come up with another. It was exhausting. I was like, <laughs> oh, you no. got to be kidding me. I I, that's one of my name. least favorite things to come up with, like a name of a, of a character, a name of a script, a name of a song. I'm like, oh, feels like so much pressure. <laughs> well, like, and I, and I feel like a character, a song, even I'm like, uh, it's a bit easier for me. But like mm. a, the name of like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. You know, and there was like at the time there was already Netflix and there was Prime or at the time it was still called Amazon Prime, I think, and Crave. And at the time there was also like Show Me and all these other companies <laughs> that are no longer. But we were, I remember I was lying on the couch in our living room and I was just like, calling out names and you'd be like <laughs> i don't know and yeah, he was yeah. calling out names exhausted like yeah, like just... literally imagine me lying listless horizontal. on the couch yeah and then i looked over at our bar cart and i just literally started naming things on the bar cart and at one point i was like i don't know glass cocktail glass and i don't even know if i, I don't remember if i said it or he said it but one of us was like a highball glass, highball. And then we just settled on highball. And then we, when we looked into the word, we discovered a highball is also the name for the green light. When you're, when you're on a train track and in the olden days, the lights that when the light would go green, it was called a highball. And so we were like, oh, that's kind of a fun other meaning of it. We're not going to lean into that, but you know, we just liked the sound of it. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. And we thought, why not? Yeah. It was, it was strange. I love that. Not fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and you're probably like, okay, yeah, I'm so relieved you came up with a name that we both like. And then it's like, I hope no one asks me how I came up with it. Maybe. But the <laughs> fact that you're like, you're green lighting your own projects. I mean, it works. Also, it like, does. highballs a party. Like, let's go. Brings people together. Yeah. Glass half full. You know what? So many things. I love it. You know what? I'm going to take all of those. Next okay, great. Great, great. Steal all of those. Great, 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 great. Please do. You have me on okay. record being like full. You know what? 
They are now yours. They are your credit. Amazing. Yeah, Thank they're you. They're yours. You're welcome. Um, anything <laughs> I can contribute, honestly. I'm such a fan of the company and of both of you. Uh, speaking of that, what is it like having your romantic partner, your husband, like also be your business partner? What is that like? Because there's no, I mean, living together and lifing together and working together. You do it all. Yeah. What's that like? It's it's mostly the best. Oh, because you two are so wonderful also. Well, thank like, you. Oh. I mean, we're also like, we acknowledge <laughs> that we can be wonderful and we can also be way too much. Like we're, we're a oh. lot. Like individually, we're a lot because we both have a lot of enthusiasm and energy and... <laughs> But then together, sometimes I feel like sometimes I when we're around certain people, sometimes we'll be in a grocery store <laughs> and we'll be we'll be doing a shtick because that's what yeah. we do. Of course, you got a shtick. And, yeah, and yeah. I'll, and I'll sense I'll be like, oh, no, this person, this person is not <laughs> having any of this. They're not. They're out. Yeah, yeah. They They're are like, not Jesus subscribing Christ, to this channel. Who are yeah, these yeah. People get them away from me. And I and I look at them and I'm like, I understand I, we are not for everybody. Yeah. Um, no, it's mostly fantastic. And when we first started dating, we met online. Mm. And uh, when we first started dating, you know, a couple of weeks in to dating, we we showed each other some of our work. My favorite thing is I was doing a cabaret show, and the name of the cabaret show was Melissa D'Agostino breaks up with you, um, and it was a <laughs> bunch of my characters. You can't and, invite him. That's weird. It's like, well, is it a double meaning? Oh, you did invite him. I yeah, did yeah, invite yeah. him, and and he put it in his calendar. And so he's like, oh. every, so he'd get reminded. He's like, on Friday, Melissa Dix, you know, breaks up with you. And he, I remember he told me, he told his mom and his mom was like, that's a strange name for a show. Are you sure you're not just going to go to that oh, and no. she's going to break up with you? The show's not real. He's like, is no. the show real? And I was like, no, I created the show before I met you. I promise. Yeah, yeah. And then he came to see that. And then he showed me this short film he made that was amazing. But we were both so nervous about sharing our art with each other. Yeah. And then about a month into dating, we decided, okay, let's make something together. Let's see about making something together. Mm. And we were both very nervous about that. Because because both of us are so creative and making things is such a part of who we are, we knew that if we were going to be in a partnership together and we didn't like making things together, then that would maybe be tough because then we'd yeah. be making things apart. And I mean, lots of people do that, but mm -hmm. it was just this moment of tension of trying something and, and of expectations and hope. And yeah. we made this short film in my backyard, um, like a spoof commercial. And we had such a good time and loved doing it. And, and truly like, working with him making movies with Matt is my favorite thing to do we oh. I we have a really good rapport and a pretty good balance mm. sometimes the running the business part of it and the stress of that mm. you know that can absolutely take its toll and we both have to be sure that we are focused on projects with other people mm. and individual time for ourselves in addition to the time we spend together so I have a co-writer that I write with and other collaborators I work with. And that's very satisfying because then when we come together and make things together, we can really focus on that, but we have that other outlet. I'm not always great at making sure I'm making time for just me and I find for my creative process and my mental health, if I'm not making sure that I have time to just let things percolate, let things inspire me, just be with myself, I can get really overwhelmed. So, you know, 
it's a balancing act and learning mm-hmm. each other's needs and, and quirks. Mm-hmm. But I love it. We're very lucky. We're mm. incredibly lucky. I'm so glad it worked out that you both enjoyed working together. Because, I mean, if it, it sounds like it's something you both were hoping would happen. And, yeah. like, if you both didn't like working or not even – maybe even worse, if one of you – like, if he really enjoyed working with you yes. but you didn't enjoy working with him or vice versa, would have just been this weird little tension and, like, like hopefulness but not. So I'm so glad. And I think it's – it is very vulnerable when you show someone you are really into like something that you are creating and that's like a piece of your soul. And then when they accept and celebrate that, I feel like it's so many steps up the like intimacy ladder. You know what I mean? <laughs> Cause it just feels oh, like they're yeah. accepting who you are and you're showing them more of yourself and they're like, yep, I love that. I I'm in. And it feels wonderful. Yeah. It's incredibly, incredibly intimate mm-hmm. and definitely deepens our connection Mm, to mm -hmm. to work with each other and I what's also great is like I learn new things about him all the time through that process and that's really lovely we've been together now uh, we've been together for 11 years and married for nine and so it's like it's lovely to be surprised by your partner and learn something new and and then also when he's directing like Mm. Matt does a lot of different things we we both wear a lot of different hats but when he's directing is like my I love watching Matt direct. It's like the most excited because he's so alive and so excited and curious and um, thrilling. It's thrilling to watch the person you love be in their element, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A friend of mine were just talking about the other day, like it is so amazing or it's so fun and like kind of um, contagious energy almost to watch anyone do the thing they love and or the thing they're really good at. Like it's so, yes. it's yes. so, yeah, it, it's so, in th- it, it's inspiring. Like it makes you want to do the things that you love also. Yes. And I think there's a flow. I think people get into a flow state. Yeah. Like when they are doing the thing, when they're aligned in the thing that really connects them mm. to other people, to their purpose, I think the whole energy in the room shifts and yeah. everybody goes, oh, that's possible. I could be that free. I could be, I could be that inspired. I could be in that. There's, it's such an invitation. When you watch somebody who's right in the zone, it's such an invitation to you as the person watching it to go, Oh my God, I can, I can get on board this. I could, it's, it's um, like a train starts going and you can go with it. And I think that really does like totally change the energy of the room. And I've witnessed it, you know, I've witnessed it on sets where, People come onto sets and, you know, movie sets and TV sets and like there's a lot of shit that happens and Mm. they can be pretty terrible places and people have a lot of bad experiences and they're long days and, you know, and everyone is coming into the space with their own personalities, their own baggage, their Mm -hmm. own needs, their own life. So I've witnessed it where people come on set and because of Matt's demeanor, they've completely shifted the way that they approach their work and they're like, oh, oh, you're not going to not going to blame me or you're not going to yell at me or you're not going to there's a there's an opening here and and that can really shift the whole vibe in a really great way mm-hmm. oh he's such a great energy I also Let's i love that you no i want to talk about you i love matt <laughs> no. but um i also love that in there you slipped in maybe subconsciously like 
it's like a train. And I'm like, oh, like getting that green light highball train. Uh, I was like, look yes. at this. Everyone drink every time we say train. Okay, so That's I right. want to, speaking of Matt directing, I want to talk about you directing. So okay. mother of all shows, this beautiful poster yeah. behind you. Thank you. Yes, I, was like, I love this. Two possible locations for tonight. Yeah. There was my desk, which has a whole bunch of stuff behind it. Yeah. But the lighting isn't as good. Yeah. I was like, or am I going to sit in front of this poster? You and have to sit in front of a poster. A little bit shameless. Yes. A little bit shameless. But here it is. It I love a beautiful poster. They did a beautiful job. Oh, so. it's gorgeous. And it's a huge yeah. accomplishment. Absolutely. Truly, you should be doing everything right here in front of this poster and be in having video. Poster? You should be eating in front of like, it. Like all I'm of it. I'm trying to obscure because if I move, because it's your also face, on the yeah, yeah, yeah. and I could also just like you could also fill it in way. perfectly, like almost profile, but not quite. Oh yeah, yeah you exactly. nailed it! You nailed it! You nailed it! Oh my yeah. god! Wow, it's a 3D poster. That's amazing. <laughs> um, well, okay, so mother of all shows, feature film, not yeah. only is mother of all shows and I'm not telling you this but not only because you know this not only is it your you do your directorial debut but the film won outstanding director of a narrative feature an outstanding narrative feature at the this year's art of Brooklyn Film Festival amazing and I, I love that thank on your Instagram you had an unpackaging of the beautiful awards I loved it so much thank you huge congratulations thank you <laughs> yes. one of the gentlemen who runs that festival is delightful his name's Anthony DeVito and he's this, you know, Italian American from Brooklyn. And when I met him immediately, I was like, I understand. We understand each other. <laughs> I get you. you. Know, as yeah. an Italian Canadian, um, <laughs> there was just a level of like anxiety and stress <laughs> that I was like, we see each other, Paisan. So he was so anxious about these awards arriving because I couldn't be there to accept them. And so he kept messaging me and then they delivered them and I wasn't home to receive them and there was like they needed me to sign for them and so I ended up having to go get them uh, because they didn't leave me any information it was like you know it was like a career service not yeah. being great yeah. anyway but I knew he was so stressed so I was like okay I'm gonna do this unboxing and I'm gonna make a big show of you know on top of being very proud of them I also wanted Anthony to be like Anthony it's okay I got they them arrived. and he and I and he messaged me he's like thank you so much I of course so he did oh that's so sweet oh what like, a caring act it was also just fun to watch I love people unwrapping unboxing I don't know yeah. I didn't know that I loved it but I watched your video and I was like this is fun does she have anything else she's gonna open like open the mail on your Instagram okay great. okay I'll do more if this is a if this is a request I'll do more yeah I love it this is I'll a formal it. request this is a request okay okay so choosing to have your directorial debut and I know you've co-directed but like choosing to direct mm -hmm. your first feature film on mm -hmm. a film that you're also starring in is both yeah. incredibly gutsy and very admirable and also are you tired? Like, what was the ex well? I'm like, also tired, so yes. much work, but also amazing and like, honestly, sounds like a dream experience. So, what was that experience like of directing and starring in this feature that also like you co-wrote? Like, I'm like, yeah. How was that experience? So many hats. It was a lot, but it was also, I have to say, like my whole life, this is what I've done in theater. Mm -hmm. When I started as an actor. I was making my own shows. I had my own dance company when I was in high school and I would choreograph uh, numbers on them and we would, you know, tour in our suburb and, and do things like that. But so oh I've always been, this is always what I've wanted to do, right? Yeah. Is be a part of the creation of the thing and be in the thing and see it through to the end. Mm. So it made a lot of sense to me when we were co-writing it, David and I, my co-writer, I wasn't convinced I was going to be in it. I had a lot of 
worry about that. Mm. And um, not so much from the standpoint of could I do it? Because I, mm. I knew with Matt there as a co-DP, as a co-director helping, you know, as my right hand, I had co-directed with him as the lead director. So I had had that experience. I knew I'd be okay. It was more a sense of like, should I do it? Will, am I the right actor for it? Which was funny. And I remember my therapist because I was debating it and talking it out in my therapy session as I do. And she said, let me get this straight. So it's <laughs> somewhat based on things that have happened to you. The person has to dance and sing and be funny and be dramatic and all these, you've written it with all of your skills in mind. You only have a short period of time to make it. So you don't have a lot of time to necessarily you know, do lots of takes and, and all of that. And you think maybe you should hire somebody else. <laughs> she asked me in this way. Yeah. That was yeah. so hilarious. <laughs> and I said, yeah, well, good point. And everybody yeah, yeah. kind of said that to me. And then I thought about, you know, Barbara Streisand, who I adore. And um, because there's a lot of examples of men who've done this, but I wanted an example of a woman. And there are lots of women who do it. I mean, you look at Tina Fey, who you know, wrote and and starred in a lot of things, or at least was the creator of and starred in things. And mm -hmm. there's plenty of women, Kristen Wiig, like there's actually a lot of women who do it, not usually directing though. And so when I was thinking about Barbara Streisand and how much I adore her and how much Barbara Streisand decades ago was like, yeah, I'm going to direct it and I'm going to star in it and I'm going to produce it and I'm going to be really exacting about it. Mm. And everyone's going to make comments about that. And that's fine because... I know how I want it to be. And there was such a, that's such a gift, right? And I really did know, I did understand it in a way that I felt it should be me. So then once I decided we were going to go that way, then it was really about training. It was about being prepared. Yeah, that's actually, I'm so interested in that because I watched, um, what was it? Oh, it was a conversation with you and Andre also works oh, at Highball, who's yeah. also, yeah, who also yeah. director. It comes from casting. It comes yeah, from casting. Yes. I know Andre very well. Huge fan. Love Andre. Yeah, uh, yeah. Made Love me Andre. so secretly creepy happy when I was like, oh my God, Andre's working at Highball with Melissa and Matt. It just made me so happy. Anyway. But yes, I saw you and Andre chatting about experiences of directing and directorial debuts. And you had mentioned like something that's so important is stamina for a director and that that's something that you had been working on in leading up to the filming of Mother of All Shows. It's like I'm working yes. on my stamina. I think that's such an interesting piece. Like I think it's it's um, second nature for people to think of actors working through their script or working on an accent or researching and directors working on shots and shot like all of that all that stuff but the actual mm -hmm. stamina part I have never heard anybody say it other than you and the individual that you had mentioned said it right also yeah so oh yeah who had said that uh oh it was, was it um, Ian Ridley was that Scott, a name maybe? I think it was Ridley oh Scott. oh oh okay maybe really uh, yeah. Ian I'm like who's Ian Ian famous Ian? director you know that Ian. coffee shop barista Ian uh said that <laughs> so what was the preparation leading up to it? It can be creative. It can be the stamina part. Like what went into preparing to direct and star in this, in this film? I was lucky because I, I had to dance in it and I had to sing in it and I yeah. hadn't <laughs> done either of those. It was tap dancing and it was singing and I hadn't done either of those publicly professionally in a long while. Mm. So there was a certain amount of just getting back into shape that way or getting back yeah. into conditioning. So I had to, keep up with that and then I also had I basically made sure that on the day I have I was so prepared in every department every way that whatever came at me I could handle because 
the thing about being a director is on the day you're just bombarded with questions you have to make so many choices there are always problems there are always compromises and in order to be open to all of that and not be like not you know i need to go focus on this and and be defensive about anything or be anxious about anything that i had to feel really secure about everything going in so for me mm -hmm. it was a really rigorous schedule and so my time was divided up between you know voice prep and singing and working with my singing coach and you know because we had to record the song ahead of time and and then working on it so i could lip sync you know in the ways that i needed to accurately mm -hmm. and then dancing and then i was doing a lot of conditioning just like you know regular physical conditioning to have the physical stamina to work long hours you know just even as an actor in this film i have to do so many bizarre things i wrote <laughs> you know david and i wrote a script where i have to do the craziest things yeah. <laughs> because there's a whole fantasy part of the film mm. that's my character imagining herself and her cousin in these different scenarios these fantasy scenarios where like there's a jousting match there's wrestling i'm like arnold schwarzenegger action superhero like it's all so crazy yeah and so i was like okay i have to have as an actor i need a certain amount of stamina and fitness as a director i need a certain amount of stamina and and energy mm. and i was working with this osteopath and i still do who was talking about you know i was telling him about it and of course because of how i am and i mentioned this before like my italian canadian anxiety and overthinking <laughs> and analytical self i was like okay I was fixating on it. Mm. He said, all you have to focus on is recovery. You basically have to, you know, get to the skill level and the fitness level you need to be and make sure you have recovery. You're just, you're pushing, you're pushing yourself during the day. Um, you're, you're pushing your muscles, you're pushing your, your, to your edge and then active recovery, things that bring your body back into rest. And when I was growing up, a lot of what I, I interpreted as rest or recovery was actually kind of collapse. Like I just mm. grew up in a, an environment where like people would be so tired because they're working really hard and they have families and like all of the stuff that is legitimately exhausting in life mm -hmm. and groceries and laundry and all the things. <laughs> and then rest looked like a kind of collapse that I don't actually think all the time was, was really rejuvenating or restful. And so I had to start asking myself, like, what is actually recovery for me? What is, what does that look like? And that was also helpful during the film shoot, because when I had downtime, you know, when you're not sleeping, which mostly you're just trying to get enough sleep, <laughs> but on the weekends, it was like, okay, what does recovery look like? How can I be, can I wake up and have the energy and the outlook I need to keep going? And then of course, in the midst of all of that training and all of that focus was paperwork and blocking and storyboarding and <laughs> meetings and costume meetings and production meetings and all the stuff, right? But I love, like the thing for me is like that kind of tired, I love. Mm. It is so invigorating. For me, when I'm focused on a creative project and I'm doing all of those parts, that is when I feel the most alive. Mm -hmm. That's like, the it gives me just as much energy as it takes for me. I find the time between projects where there isn't that active pursuit, that's the hardest for me. And and it's also hard, I think, sometimes to like self-motivate in those moments because, you know, you're just tired of being the engine. So I like deadlines and I like high pressure situations because they push me into a space where I'm actually really, where I thrive, you know? Mm -hmm. the, so many things that you just said were 
hit me so well. But yeah, being tired of being a part of the engine, that is so, I mean, I guess that goes back to the whole like actors kind of the whole business part of it and like building that business for yourself and who you are. And you're like, I, I don't want to be the whole engine right now. Like I just want to be in the creating of it and in the making of it and the decisions and the collaboration and all that. I'm with you. Like I get so energized, like a day on set, and you're right. Even when you're on set, it's like the time in between while you're waiting. If you're if you're acting in it and you don't have any other hats to wear, it's like the time between where they're resetting the lights. That's the most tired you are. But when you're actually doing yeah. the thing, you're not tired. It's just when you're like no, sit and it's wait. Just so joyous, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it so. Is. It's so invigorating. And I think too, we all need champions. We all need. We all need people to get on board who are excited about the things we're excited about. That's such a human need, a connection. We all want connection in that way. And I think making movies is the greatest job in the world. Like I can't even believe that I get to do it. It's because you walk on set and yes, you've done a ton of work. And and it's funny, what, I, I, someone commented on that video of me and Andre mm. and they were like, they were like, well, well the director they're the person, you know, pushing all these other people to have to work so hard on set, which is a good point, like grips and gaffers and, and camera ops and, and people who work long hours, like everyone on set has to find their has to navigate this mm. in their own way. And every job and every department has its own particular struggles and, mm. and requirements and everyone has to. And frankly, I think sometimes we don't look at, you know, below the line and uh, crew and people who are working really hard and often don't get the luxury of, of making, you know, space for recovery and having that. But I think that the glorious thing about it is you get to go into an environment where a bunch of people are there to supplement what your vision is. It's an incredible thing. And they bring to the table, like the, the, th the, the first couple of days of Mother of All Shows, we worked with this first AD and we had worked with him once before this. I think it might have been once before this and we loved working with him mm. he is the just the best so mm. incredible human and a, a marvelous first ad and the first ad on set for those who don't know is mm -hmm. you know the person who runs the set they schedule things they keep everything moving and on time they're the person running the set they, the set is theirs more than the director the director's <laughs> there to make sure you know the take works but really that first ad is is, it's like, know. let's go, director. Time is money. Let's go. Move it. In, <laughs> you get invaluable. one more take, like, director. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like such an important position. And so um, we were kind of like a little bit at odds mm. the first couple of days. And I was like, what's, and we both were a little bit like, what's happening? We, yeah. we worked together. I had co-directed with Matt and it was great. And, and so we sat down at the end of the second day and what we realized actually through mm. talking it through was that we were both not letting the other, I wasn't letting him do more of his job. I walked on set and as a, as a first time lead director and because it was me acting and I felt so much pressure, mm -hmm. I really felt like I had mm -hmm. to show up and know everything. Mm. And I felt like I had to show up and I had to push everything. And I think we often have this idea of directors, which is so skewed and so problematic because I think it's also why we often think men are better directors than mm. women which is false or non-binary people like man, man as director I think part of it is because we look at it as this like aggressive take charge I run the thing I know mm. everything this attitude where actually that is not my experience I think it's it's actually much much better 
when the person directing is listening and taking everybody's ideas into account and collaborating. Mm. And, you know, when I started to let Colin, our first AD, when I started to let him take charge in the ways he needed to and be there for me and offer up ideas in ways that that actually enhance, like everybody on that set had so many better ideas than I could have had in the moment so many of the times, but that's why they're there. And I'm there to say, yeah, great. Mm -hmm. I like that one. I Mm -hmm. like that one. Let's do that one. So I get to then from that fashion something, but the ideas are coming from every single person on that team from the PA and the driver to the first AD and the costume designer. Like it's the collaborative element of it is the thing, you know, it's like, that's where the magic happens. Mm -hmm. It's not the person at the top of the heap dictating, which Mm -hmm. I think is still largely, there's still sometimes that feeling. And and I didn't think I had Mm -hmm. that bias, you know, I thought I was like very evolved Mm-hmm. very progressive and like very feminist and like <laughs> looked at it in this new way. And then I got on set and sub, like uh, subconsciously I was doing all these things that were actually standing in my way. And I had to go, ah, I don't have to do that. Actually. I can be present as myself and solve problems with the team. And I don't have to know everything here. In fact, it's better that I don't, it's good that I don't know everything because a, I can't know everything and B we're going to make a better movie with other people's input. So that was a real, I like, I learned so much through that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that it's not, I guess not a, um, well, I think in, in two ways, like that the new mindset or the, or just the reminder of the mindset you probably already had, honestly, like in your heart and in your core that like it was collaborative and all those things, which is, yeah. seems very much how you work anyway. The reminder of that, it's like, yeah. And also that those, their ideas and those contributions aren't a threat to your vision or how you see the story because ultimately the director still gets to be that filtration like they still get the final say they still get to say yes I oh that idea that idea that idea and it's really just like it sounds like being open to hear all of those ideas and I think it also helps for people who want to direct like so often I have ugh, like actor friends or writer friends or friends who you know who who will film their own sketches and they're like I want to direct but I don't know how a camera works or I don't know this. And I'm like, yeah, but mm-hmm. I don't think you have to. Like that you have a DP for a reason. You have a gaffer for a reason. Like, yes, having an appreciation and an idea for all of those different areas and how they work is wonderful and probably necessary, like, like a basic understanding. And it will make mm-hmm. the whole team work better, just like a director who has acted, I think, makes it makes them better at working with actors. But mm-hmm. that's why they're there. Like, that's what you lean on them for is their expertise. You don't have to be an expert in everything to then be worthy of directing something. No, and I think this is a huge thing. And I've had a lot of imposter syndrome around it. I know mm-hmm. some technical things. And I started out, I was an editor, an, a story editor in lifestyle television for years as my day job. Oh, I saw um, Rich Bride, Poor Bride. I watched that show. Melissa, that is so fucking cool. <laughs> I read that and I was like, what? Listen, okay, anyway, sorry to cut you off. It was the craziest job. I watched oh. so many weddings. And, uh, <laughs> I watched so watched many weddings. So many weddings yeah. and so many crazy <laughs> things happened. And, and you know, it was, <sighs> I, I often say to people who want to write or direct mm. that they should learn how to edit. Mm. Um, how editing come? Was, yeah. Because editing was an invaluable 
learning process because editing teaches you so much about storytelling. You know, mm. my job on Rich Bride, Poor Bride was literally they would hand me all the footage and I would God, cut so I would, much. Oh, like, so much. Reality TV, I feel so bad for the editors, honestly. So much footage. And it's funny. It was so much footage. It's funny because there were three different directors and they were all had totally different styles. There was one <laughs> who got all got like a pretty standard amount of footage and one who got so much more, double the amount of footage oh that you needed. God. And one that sometimes didn't give you even enough. So <laughs> it was I like, was like, this is a short film, a one-off short yeah. film from this director. I was like, sorry, how, how much? You have nine minutes? Nine minutes of <laughs> nine <footage> minutes <laughs> to cut the scene for the wedding dress the, <laughs> on a wedding show. Anyway, so, you know, you're dealing uh, with different styles, yep. different people, different ways of working. <laughs> and so then I would have to cut a really, you know, long version mm. of the show, the episode. And I would make decisions about what order the scenes would go in outside of the sort of act one and the last act where they, mm. they have templates and a framework. And I would piece together scenes in the way that I thought was compelling. So mm. I was the first person after the producer and the director and casting and however that pre-production went and production, I was the first post-production person who was building the story. So I would watch it with the, the executive producer. She would flag things, I would change things and then give it to the editor. And the editor who was incredible would work all kinds of magic. But I learned so much about arcs, about acts, about storytelling, about character in a way that I hadn't learned from the studying I had done as an actor, the studying I had done as a writer, because I had studied those things and I, mm -hmm. and those were very valuable. But this was a whole other thing because what happens then is when you're on set or when you're writing your script, you're already imagining how it can come together. And that is so valuable in terms of how you're going to build the arcs, the story, the characters. Mm -hmm. But also it's so valuable on the day when you're shooting because when you're making your shot list and you are determining what you're going to get and there are always those times on set where you're going to have to sacrifice a shot. That makes me nervous just hearing you say that. Like, I know, but like being like, you're going to yeah. have to sacrifice a shot. I'm like, huh. like, I think if I was directing, I would come up with, like if I needed to come up with 10 shots, I would come up with 20 so that I already had the babies to sacrifice. You know what I mean? Like I already knew which ones I'm sacrificing. Well, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, the, the, the best way to tackle that is when you're building your, your shot list and your, mm. your storyboards is you know what you're, you need to get. Mm. So you know you need these three setups. Yeah. That, and if you get these three setups, you can tell this story. You can cut it together, but you know that because you've cut things together. And so as you're blocking it out and you're arranging it, you're like, well, I'm going to need a, a close-up on this person. I'm going to need a two-shot. I'm going to need an insert. And I'm going to need – these are the four components I need mm -hmm. to tell this story. Then you make, you know, Your gravy the list, list of the yeah. other shots. You're Your cherry on top. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of the time, if you're working with a great first AD and you – and everything is running on time, you can get those gravy shots and it's mm -hmm. fantastic. And then in editing, you can always do all kinds of other things to the footage to help you out. The things I've learned in <laughs> working with Matt as an editor around, let's do a post-production zoom, let's do, let's mm. crop it out, let's do a tilt shift. We can manipulate the footage. So the more you know about that aspect of things mm -hmm. as well, the more you know about visual effects, yeah. the more you can look at it and go, okay, I have a better sense of what I need and what is nice to have. Mm -hmm. And I think 
to your point about feeling like you have to know about the technical aspects, mm. I've had a lot of imposter syndrome around, you know, cameras and gear like that, because I, I did not come from uh, an education that taught me about that. Mm. And I'm always learning and I know some things, but I don't know a lot. And it doesn't always, I don't always retain it that well because of the technical aspects. I'm the type of person who needs to do something in order to really uh, learn it. And so that's part of my process. But I absolutely do not need to know which camera and which lens needs to be used or which lights. That isn't necessary to be a director. Mm -hmm. Is it incredibly helpful? And is it really helpful for your confidence level Mm. to understand cameras and lenses and lights and setups and sound to a certain extent? Yes, because you will feel that much more confident in having those discussions, but it's not necessary. It is also helpful. The more you can do yourself, the more you can make things because Mm. finding teams of people can be a deterrent, you know, and and being able to pay them or finding the people that you get along with that have the same vibe as you or or any of those things, right? But you don't have to. You can apps. There are plenty of directors, great directors out there, who know very little about visual mm-hmm. effects or cameras or lenses. Know just the bare minimum and direct huge movies and certainly directed independent features, knowing very little. So if anyone is listening who's nervous about that aspect of it, don't let that be the thing that stops you from trying because you don't need to know every department. Again, that's why everyone else is there. They're specialists at that. Let them be specialists at it and let them bring their ideas to you. Mm. And because then they also have ownership over the project and and they feel invested in it. Mm. Whereas if you come in and you know how to do everything and you're just telling people where to go, that's not nearly as exciting for people who are working on the project either. Yeah. It's like how we were talking earlier about how sometimes it's nice in those like gig Joe jobs of like me going into serving. And then when I clock out, I'm out and I don't have to have that like emotional caring. People aren't working on movies to like people are there because they're passionate about the industry or about the specific skill that they are bringing to the table. So the more, Mm It's like the opposite of the serving. Invite everyone to be managers, like on a film set. Don't have them just come in and feel like, yeah, yeah, do your job and get out and we don't really need to hear from you. That's thrilling in maybe a serving industry, but on a film set or or collaboratively like putting some piece, some artistic project together, I'm with you. Like I think the more people feel like they're able to voice or or input their voice into this project and the more ownership they feel over it yeah and the more invested they are and the more engaged they are in the whole thing and it doesn't mean that it has to dilute your vision also I guess is like it doesn't have to yeah and the other thing I would say is if you're having that feeling of doubting it or or nervousness then there are I mean I spent before I did my first color grade session for Mother of All Shows and the color grade process on Mother of All Shows where you you know make corrections for any issues that came up in camera, um, but also sometimes, you know, saturate things, put filters mm-hmm. on things, that that part of the process. I didn't know a lot about that process. And it was complicated for my film because it's a period film. 
there are scenes that have to look like the 70s, scenes that have mm-hmm. to look like television in the 80s, scenes that have to look like television in the 90s. Yeah, you really didn't give do... yourself like an easy, like when I watched no. the trailer, Melissa, I'm like, I'm sorry, hold on. There's green screens. You're in, you're tap dancing. Also, you were a badass tap dancer in the trailer. Thank um, you. You're in a plane at one point. You have sitcom uh, setups. You have, did I say green screen? Animation, like I was yeah. like, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she didn't phone it in. She wasn't like, yeah, yeah, give me no, an easy threw, f- film to direct. Honestly, <laughs> I threw everything at yeah. it because yeah. I was like, uh, maybe that, maybe I'll never make another one of these and this is <laughs> it. And so I might as well throw it all in. And because David and I had chosen this variety show format and that's mm. what variety shows are. And, yeah. and that was the thrill of it, you know. But because of that, for, you know, a couple of weeks leading up to that color session, I watched every YouTube video I could mm. find and I... And I pulled screen grabs, film grabs from, there's a site where you can take film grabs from other films. And I built like a reference sheet and I really, I leaned into it. I leaned into the thing that I was insecure about. Mm. And I knew that I would walk into that, that studio, that color grade studio. And I would not know nearly uh, as much as other directors do. And I certainly won't know a fraction of what the colorist knows, Mm. but I had enough knowledge that when the conversation started, I could feel confident enough to try and articulate what I wanted because ultimately that's what's important. The director needs to be able to clearly articulate what they need Mm -hmm. from everyone else on set. Mm -hmm. And so the more you understand the language and the technology, it's just easier for you to take the thing that's in your head or on your storyboard or your, you know, in your lookbook and translate it so that those crew members can give you what you're looking for. So if you, when I look at it that way, then it doesn't feel daunting or like, a, like I need to know more. It feels like I'm driven to know as much as I can so I can communicate as clearly as I can. Mm. It's just another set of tools, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And in that, it's like, you know, how you had said earlier, a lot of us think of directing as like the male director. It's like, well, if you think about it, that the biggest strength or ability that a director needs is communication skills and articulation to others I mean we've Uh been conditioned to do that since we were out of the Uh womb so I mean maybe I'm gonna direct something tomorrow I don't know maybe I think you should oh my god yes in fact (laughs) you've said it here now I've said it here and I can't wait to so sweaty now Melissa (laughs) as soon as I say it okay I want to do a one minute rapid fire with you right before I do that I just I know yes I just have one more question um because I'm just so curious so Wendy Malik plays your mom like she does. Should we take a fucking moment for that? Everyone drink for Wendy Mal. I was like, I literally, when I saw it, I was I like, love. hold on a second. No way. And I went to the IMDb of the movie. Okay. How did Wendy Malik become involved in the film? And I'm sorry if this is a long, I, I like, I'm not trying to give you a long question oh. right now before, but. Oh, I'm happy. How I'm the heck did that happen? About Wendy Malick. Yeah. I'm sorry if I talk for a long time about it, but. No, fucking um... idol. How did that happen? You're also an idol, <laughs> yeah, not so... to say, but how did that happen? Oh, come on. Um, well. <laughs> how did it happen? We had been, you know, looking at Canadian actors to play it. And it was such a specific role. Mm. And so, you know, the casting process is complicated when you're looking for somebody like it was a person who had to lead the film. They had to sing. They had to dance. They had to be funny. Like there's a, there's a monologue in the film. That's like a Johnny Carson, Phyllis Diller style monologue, Mm. you know, that at the time was like eight pages long. And, (laughs) and it was, you know, it was like, it was a lot. And they had, this person had to do so much Mm -hmm. and there's big emotional scenes. And so we were like, okay, who's this person going to be? And we were talking about people 
And my producer, one of my producers, he gave me a list of names of people he thought we could reach out to. Mm. And there were there was a name on the list of, of an actor that I loved. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let's reach out to this person and this person. And we're sort of going down the list and seeing who we should send the script to. And I made a joke. Uh, I texted him about something and I said, yeah, yeah, call her up. And I was like, oh, I don't, I mean, obviously I don't mean call her up directly. I mean, call her agent. Like we had, right. we were having a banter <laughs> back and forth. And I said, obviously you don't know her. And he said, well, the only actress on this list that I know is Wendy Malick. And I went, I'm sorry, how do you know Wendy Malick? Yeah. And he said, um, well, I had a conversation with her people and her about a project years ago and it never went through, but she's lovely. And so I've talked to her. And I was like, well, I love Wendy Malick. And David and I, you know, the, the whole, the, the, the funniest thing about that was when I was a teenager, I was obsessed with a show called Dream On. So my family had an illegal cable box where like you could watch cable channels for free <laughs> and pay-per-view for free. So like I watched Strictly Ballroom one summer every day, multiple times a day because I could, because I didn't have to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so Just because I was I like can. that kid. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, like <laughs> injected into my eyeballs. So I was watching this HBO show called Dream On, which is a show with Bri starring Brian Ben Ben and mm. Wendy Malick plays his ex-wife. And the whole concept of the show is whenever this guy has a feeling or a thought, uh, they jump to a clip from a black and white movie or television show that is his subconscious thought. No way. Yeah, so I, I was obsessed with the show. Yeah. It was also very sexual and very adult, and I was like 13. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, my God, yes. I want to see all the sexy things. And I want, it was thrilling, yeah. right? Because, you're, because it's like you shouldn't be, and, and it was exciting. And it was such a great show, and she was so good in it. And so while we were writing Mother of All Shows, I brought up Dream On all the time as one of the reference points because it left such a mark on me, mm. that concept of like using television and film as a way to express thoughts and that kind of escapism and that kind of humor. So when I said to, to our producer, I was like, well, this, when we'd love her and this would be amazing. Like, sure. Like send her the script. He's like, great. He sends her the script. She loves the script. And I'm like, oh, great. And then I keep thinking, I mean, I'm like a this Canadian, yeah. <laughs> a Canadian independent filmmaker. I've never made a film on my own. I'm like, there's no way something's going to fall apart here. Yeah. The finance, it's not going to be enough money for her. There's going to be an immigration thing. There's going to be something scheduling. Yeah. <laughs> like there's got to be, there's a million things that have to fall into place yeah. for somebody to be able to join, somebody of her caliber to join a movie. And it just kept going and going and they kept saying yes. And then all of a sudden I had just gotten a vaccine for COVID we had come home and I was like a little bit, you know, a little starting to get a little bit out of it from yeah. the vaccine, you know, a little bit of chills, a little bit of exhaustion. And all of a sudden, Wendy Malik's calling me and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so I pick, pick up the phone and I'm so nervous. Like, talk about flop sweat. I'm so nervous. Oh. And, um, and she, she's like, Melissa, it's Wendy Malik. And she's <laughs> like immediately just sort of there. Yeah. And we have this incredible conversation and we talk about the script and she talks about what she likes about it. And, and she's like, I guess we're going to do this. We're going to jump, jump off a cliff together. Like, and it'll be oh. like, we're making a play where they'll be like, we'll go to a small town and we'll do this play. And I had no idea that she came from theater and that she came from those oh. roots, which are the roots I came from. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I told her about Dream On and she said, oh, she's like, that show changed her career because up until that point, she was seen as a serious actor. She's very tall. She's She's got such presence. So she was cast a lot as 
you know, a lawyer or Serious. whatever, like, yeah. you know, all the casting tropes that, that we fall into all the type casting. And then she did dream on and people saw she could be funny and it mm. opened the floodgates for her to do just shoot me and I'm Cleveland and Frasier and Bojack Horseman and all the amazing things she's done. Mm. So we have this incredible conversation and I hang up and I think, <laughs> well, here's the thing. If this doesn't happen, mm. if it falls apart, mm-hmm. cause it still could. <laughs> yep. I had the conversation of a lifetime with one of my idols and it was wonderful and it was fantastic. And then it all happened and she showed up and she was incredible. I mean, not only was she incredible to work with, like as a director to direct just a dream, as an actor to act across from her, it was like, it made me feel the way I felt when I first started acting in the way when I really wanted to be an actor, like Mm. so alive, Mm. so alive, so present. But also, she's just like the most beautiful human. And, you know, that's not that doesn't always happen, you know. And you made that like you made that happen also. I just want to point out like you created this company to be able and then you wrote this. I know it's not done alone, but you created this company and then wrote this film. And like you made all of this happen. Like actor you is like, oh, my God, thanks, Melissa. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like just even when you're talking about it, being like I got to direct Wendy Malik. I got to act across from Wendy Malik for like majority of the movie. Like that is incredible. And the fact that you I mean, it is a it's a it's such a Canadian artist story about like I wanted to be an artist and so I had to create opportunities for myself and not everybody is able to find the ways to do that and for no lack of like talent and things on their own but I think it is like so fucking empowering I don't know everything that you're doing and the fact that like you in those moments when you are acting across from Wendy Malik and then you then you call cut and then you direct her it's like (laughs) you're you're doing all of that like you did you made all of that happen it is so fucking incredible Melissa it really is like it is so so, I hope when you do get to take a little break you just like cheers the fuck out of yourself because that is so incredible to create that really like to create that moment I appreciate that yeah thank you that's very nice of you to say yeah I think life is a series of, like, I think the idea of luck is a combination of, yes, sometimes it really just is the right timing. Mm. And you you had very little to do with that timing. Mm. But I think there is a there is a putting yourself in the situations where that timing could pan out. Mm. And I think for part of my life, I wasn't doing that because I was afraid or I was, I don't know, I didn't value myself enough. And then I, and then I think I started to, that changed at some point. And I, I do think that you have to throw yourself into those situations. Too often we say, oh, well, that's never going to happen. Or oh, mm. I don't think, you know, because it's scary. It's so scary mm-hmm. to ask somebody to read a thing you wrote and maybe say, and then when they say yes, there's a whole other flood of yeah. fears. Yeah. Even when she said yes. Yeah. You were like, I'm sure it won't happen. Like it's, it's exactly, yeah. it, it wasn't the same. Like I would have done the same. It wasn't yeah. like, oh, I can't wait to do this. It was like, no, I'm sure scheduling. Like something is bound to pop up to not make this dream come true. You know? Yeah. And, it's I, so and much I think easier. I'm learning slowly to like what Matt does, which is not that Matt is always like, it's probably going to happen. Matt's attitude is, uh, it's probably going to happen. Bless and, Matt. And if it doesn't, he knows that he's going to be able to roll with it. Yeah. And so to me, it's about trust that it's like, it may or may, it may not happen, but whether it happens or not, I can still, something is still going to move forward here. And also I'm trying really hard 
to let myself want things. Desire is such a complicated thing for me and, and like shame around desire and like really wanting, saying out loud, I really want this movie to do this. I really want that actor and owning that mm-hmm. is still a real bit, really big process for me mm. of a process of, of wanting it and not attaching myself to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Of saying like, I want this thing and gosh, I really hope it happens, but also not attaching so much to it, that outcome that then if it doesn't happen, I'm derailed. Right. Yeah. This is the dance all the time for me. of oh. like, how do I stay in this dance with myself? And I don't know, I think that's just continuing to be put in those situations and take those risks mm-hmm. and learn from the risks, you know? Yeah, yeah. And no, telling yourself, like, exactly, when if it, if it all falls apart, I'll be fine. If the thing doesn't happen, I'll be fine. And also, if it does happen, I don't want to have spent all that time thinking it wouldn't have. Like, I robbed myself of celebrating all that time because I was just waiting for, like, the house to fall apart instead of celebrating the great house that I have. Like, it's so... I do the same. I'm saying this as much to me as you. Like, yeah, same. That is... But I love what you said of, like, I just had a conversation about Dream On with Wendy Malick. Like, just period. She's probably going to be in the movie. If she's not, I can pick up the pieces. And in those moments where everything falls apart and you do pick up the pieces... Like, you better really cement that in your brain, too, to remember, look, I did it. Like, it fell apart. I was super disappointed. And I picked myself yeah. up and kept going. Let's remember that, too. And no, you know, no is the, the second best answer. Yes is the best answer. No mm-hmm. is the second best answer. Maybe is the worst answer. No, no answer <laughs> yeah. at all, right? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And no, you know, the number of times that, that it hasn't worked out with an actor to have them in the movie or they weren't the right fit or they didn't love the thing. And then the, the, you know, there was one actor once that wrote me this gorgeous letter about a project that then she couldn't be in. And, and it was so moving and wonderful. And I thought, well, that's an incredible experience. I just had the number of times in my life I've gotten to, to be around a person that I was inspired by growing up acting and have that person genuinely do or say something that is so moving and lovely. And, that's so heartened. It's such a gift of this business, mm. you know? So like, yes, we should cherish those moments because they are few and far between. And when they happen, my God, those are the moments when you were, imagine little, like I used to think, what if, if little kid Melissa yeah. could look at me now? And it's funny because little kid, the, there's a little kid version of the character I play who is also sort of somewhat based on me. It's also and, like, meta. <laughs> All it of is. it, you know? But like, it is. <laughs> but it's like if little kid me could see me now making things and with people that I was watching on TV and going, oh my God, that person's in a TV show and wouldn't it be great to be in a TV show? It's like, those are the moments you have, you, as you said, you have to like breathe mm-hmm. those moments in and think like, man, what a crazy, awesome ride and what an amazing life and enjoy them and try and put all the anxiety or fear to the other side mm-hmm. long enough to feel that joy for that little kid that little kid deserves a celebration hell yeah hell yeah you at least have to absorb that as much as you absorb the anxieties like at least let them be on even playing field ideally you absorb it more but at least on even playing field yeah oh yes I'm with you on that okay to end today I just want to do a very quick um one minute I have a flashback lightning round okay so eight years ago Melissa you did a lightning round for a radio interview And I am going to ask you the exact same questions. And then afterwards, yep, I'm going to see if your answers have changed in eight years. (laughs) 
What? Yep. Oh my God, this is next level research. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. Well, thank you so much. I take that as a huge compliment. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> One of the questions I did change slightly. I'll let you know afterwards and you'll know why I changed it, but I'll let you know afterwards. Okay. Okay. Melissa, are you ready? Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite animal? Um, otter. Great. Favorite type of wood? Um, uh, cedar. What, which Monopoly piece are you? Um, I'm the little guy with the hat. <laughs> Great. AM, <laughs> FM, or ham radio? Um, FM. Do you understand how helicopters work? Vaguely. Mm. When was the last time you openly cried in public? Oh, um, today. Perfect. Uh, what do you get when you fall in love? Um, you only get, oh, fuck. I know it's a lyric. I want to say the lyric. <laughs> what do you get when you fall in love? I don't know. A, a lifetime of happiness. Oh, cute. Okay, I'm going to tell you. So they had asked you what your spirit animal is eight years ago. Which oh, not appropriate. No, yeah. yeah, so favorite animal. So we, you had said, yeah. But yeah. I just wanted to point it out because I do understand that um, those might be different answers. So you had said raccoon, sure. which I fucking loved. I just, mwah, I was you like. Did I say raccoon? Yeah. So you don't understand raccoons? Raccoons <laughs> fuck with me. Like, oh, I've that's why you're like, I must have been one I probably said it because I yeah, was yeah. like, with raccoons, fuck with me. And for a while, I was like, a lot of nocturnal animals were fucking with me. Like, and when I say fuck oh. with me, I mean like, they, like one time I was cycling home after a, a catering gig. It was like two in the morning, and I get to a stoplight and I stop on my bike, and this raccoon slowly comes out and just stops and oh. stares me down. And I was like. <laughs> what's gonna happen now and then i was doing what's a show i'll be quick and I, i'm gonna be quick but i have to tell you this i was yeah. doing a show in the honest Ed's alleyway mm. r.i.p honest Ed's, oh. and um it was this show where i had to take my clothes off it was like there was a sheet and i i would like i would back like the sheet and i would have this whole banter with the person in the audience trying to sell them a mattress it's a ridiculous <laughs> show and at the same time i would be stripping and changing into a costume and so i was trying to, it was the whole joke was like i'm being provocative <laughs> and like strip teasing and being like what kind of what size mattress do you need <laughs> yeah, How much yeah, cost? Yeah. <laughs> and it's my silhouette right because i'm backlit <laughs> and so i'm in honest ed's alleyway getting naked and i look over and there's a, a fire escape and there's just a family of raccoons coming down and like heading toward me and oh, i'm no. like this is great. Like in my mind, <laughs> like fabulous. I'm like, am I going to be attacked by raccoons naked in honest as that way? Backlit. Backlit. Back Do they think this, this is the part of the show? <gasps> That's my biggest fear. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. no. When no one helps you because they're just like, wow. Oh my God. She even got raccoons for the show. And you're like, this no, I'm being crazy eaten. Effect. <gasps> so yes. did, did they, did they come close? They did not. No. I, okay. I, good. That whole thing ended before they did, but then raccoons were everywhere and following me around. <sighs> and, uh, and my therapist was like, and then a skunk followed me once and she was like, oh, there's a lot of nocturnal animals. I wonder if like there's something about that, about like your yeah. shadow or like being in the night. And I was like, I don't know, but it is stressful. I mean, even because that Toronto family. Is full of raccoons. Oh, and also, yes. And skunks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I would rather that I like would. deers were fucking with me because I'm like, great, I'll stay in the right? city. I'm fine. Raccoons, you're screwed with that. Even that they family, I'm like, were they? yeah, 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 yeah. Like were they just, were they just like power tripping you? You know what I mean? That one in your Probably. show. 
too. Probably. You're like, I don't trust a raccoon. So that's no. interesting that I said that. Yeah. I don't remember. I have no recollection of doing that. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. And that's okay. But okay. So your, your animal, you had said raccoon and you said otter this time. Okay. And then family. Which is weird. I didn't. Otter is not my favorite <laughs> animal, but you know, rapid but fire. I, yes. Yes. And I know Maybe you're so, yes. And I'm like, oh, Melissa, we so up for like free association. Go with this. Like sure. so good. Yeah. Um, favorite type of wood. Both times you said cedar. Like, okay. Okay. You love cedar. Okay. Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. You said it so fast the, the in like eight years ago that I was like, either she already knows that is for sure her answer or it was just the first wood that came to her mind. Yeah. Cedar's beautiful. Uh, which Monopoly piece are you? Eight years ago, you said the slippery shoe thing. And today you said the one with the hat. So that's cute. I, love how it, I never know exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like, never specific. <laughs> no, no. I'm impressed you can remember any of it. I'm like, I don't know. When, when I was watching the, the interview where you did it originally, I was like, oh, the rope. Yeah. And I'm like, that's Clue. Like, what is Monopoly? I couldn't even remember the Monopoly pieces anyway. I think yeah, there's Monopoly's a die. Like, there's an iron. Oh, an iron. There's a, there's right? a dice, I right? I don't play Monopoly often. Yeah. I feel like that answer is tricky that I said that because he's like just basically a giant capitalist which I don't love no. but whatever yeah whatever. free association yeah free association I'm gonna have to deal with it yeah I'm That's gonna, right. I'm gonna have to go with it fine um and then yep. am fm or ham radio last time you said ham radio because it sounds cool and it actually led me to google and be like what the fuck is ham radio and today you said fm yeah. which I think is yeah me too so much yeah makes so much sense I did a bunch of research I still don't really understand what ham radio is. so if anyone listening or watching knows please it, I, please I welcome the explanation I won't feel condescending do you understand how <laughs> helicopters work you said sort of before and today vaguely so I feel vaguely. like that's like maybe I've gotten a yeah little bit better, I was gonna maybe. say you've gained a little bit maybe more knowledge over the last eight years about how helicopters work which is great Amazing. honestly we should all strive for that um when was the last time you openly cried in public last time you said yesterday and today you said today so you've also <laughs> you know you've I'm been evolving. through a lot in eight, eight, eight years okay that's yeah right. I hope I cry in public all a lot oh like, yeah that's yeah oh I yeah mean, when you live in Toronto I think it's just kind of how life goes right I'm kind of like, if I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry. Like, I, I don't know if there's appropriate places anymore. I don't even care anymore. It's just going to happen. No, I don't think, I mean, I laugh anywhere. And right. so like, if I'm going to express my joy openly places, then why am I not going to express my sadness or whatever the crying is about? Thank you. If I'm going to be I mean, a human, I'm going to be a human. hundred percent. Exactly. I do try and cry. Yeah. I do try to hold, I don't want to cry when I have sunscreen on my face because then it burns, but otherwise I don't care. I'm all yeah, down. I'm all down fair. for it. Yeah. And then the last yeah. one was, um, what do you get when you fall in love? And last time you said happiness. And today you said a lifetime of happiness. Look at this evolution. I mean, you've been you've been with Matt eight years longer also. Yeah. So maybe it's just you're like, yeah, yeah, it's a lifetime. They were so surprised. They said no one had ever said that response. They always say like heartache or like despair or disappointment. And you were like, really? And I was like, yeah, I'm with Melissa. What the fuck? is happening yeah, when people no, fall in love. Falling in love's the best. It's the fucking but best. You can, I mean, Ugh. sure, you can, it, of course there's heartache, but like, it, I would rather fall in love and have heartache than, there's heartache anyway in life. Mm -hmm. You're, I, I don't have to fall in love to feel heartache. I feel heartache all day long. Today, I'm so sad. I was so sad before we jumped on this because mm. Sinead O'Connor died and Sinead O'Connor um, was one of the most influential artists for me growing up and I was just like, I literally was just like, I don't know what to do about the fact Aww. that she died and she's so young and and the world treated her so shittily and she was so brave and so talented. And so, I mean, like, I feel like I heartache is around every corner. Yeah. Um. So I'd much rather fall in love and then have my heart broken than not, you know? Oh my God. See, we just have to adapt that into 
like, yeah, this is probably going to happen. And if it falls apart, it's worth being excited that it happens. We just have to take yeah. how we view love and put it into Wendy Malik. You know what I mean? That's it. It's a good, that's a good point. Well, falling in love, I have fallen in love with Well, Wendy yeah, Malik, so haven't we? Yeah, 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 honestly. She is this wine tonight. Yeah. Pitch, Josh. Josh. Hi, Josh. This was, she introduced this to me, Wendy Malik, this wine, and I love it. Oh, such full circle. Yeah, California wine. Wendy oh thank you so much Melissa for doing thanks Wendy and thank you Melissa for doing this and I (laughs) kept you longer and I don't like to do that you are oh god Amanda this was a treat okay a pleasure to talk to you and I talk so much it is entirely my I love like (laughs) you're so kind (laughs) but I fucking loved it (laughs) I love it (laughs) amazing Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Liquid Courage podcast. If you like what you heard and you're looking to support the show, here's a few ways you can help. You can leave the show a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can follow the show on Instagram and TikTok at Liquid Courage Podcast, or, and best of all, you can tell a friend about the show. Tell a family member, tell a coworker, post about your favorite episode online, spread the word. That really is the best way to help support the show and help it grow. Did I just rhyme? Okay, until the next episode, cheers.